Welcome to Wonka Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice and supporting sponsor of Wonka Farm, Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Uh, I'm recording this on uh, September 2nd, 2020. Uh, got a couple short things, hopefully, to talk about before I get to the main topic of today's uh, episode or this week's episode. So, the first thing is this uh, oral approval for. Um, or the approval for oral azacitidine. Brand name is On Your Reg, <laughs> or Own Your Reg. Um, I don't see a place in therapy for this. Uh, these patients were fit enough for seven plus three for intensive chemo, then had a complete response or complete response with incomplete count recovery, and they're randomized to oral azacitidine or placebo. Of course, there's a sizable overall survival advantage. You had people with AML. And some of them did get a, a cycle or two of consolidation. Then for whatever reason, they don't get anything else. They, they go to placebo. Uh, I don't get that. Um, you know, why not give them an I, you know, IV <laughs> as a cytidine? Uh, I, I guess a couple things about this. Uh, unlike the oral decitabine, this does not have uh, a cytidine deaminase inhibitor with it. Uh, therefore, pretty low bio, bioavailability, 11%. So a lot of that drug sits in the gut. You see like 50% of patients have diarrhea. Um, uh, there's also, if you look back at the the study in uh, in 2015 from uh, uh, PLOS One Medicine, one of the early studies, there's a lot of interpatient variability in absorption, and you see that with uh, oral cytotoxic medications. Um, you know, we have oral melphalan and oral etoposide and oral cyclophosphamide and oral topotecan, and we don't use them very often. Um, and there's they're expensive too, but not maybe not as expensive as uh, new TKI tenib. Uh, but there is variable absorption uh, across all people, which means some folks are not going to get as much drug as they need, and uh, some folks are going to get more and have toxicity. And, and we do see that the more drug people have, the higher exposure they have to this drug, the more DNA methylation uh, is stopped, uh, prevented. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure who's going to get this. They take it, it's oral two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, you know, for, for some folks, once we have some better data showing what the role in therapy is, maybe it keeps some folks out of the office uh, getting their, uh, you know, their, their sub-Q as a side in your IV if you're doing that. So uh, don't see a place in therapy right now, right? That's one thing. Second thing real quickly I want to talk about is uh, t- today in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, five-year updated survival analysis is what I thought this was for, uh, I think this is called Combiad. This is Dabrafenib and Trametinib. Uh, in stage three melanoma, adjuvant treatment. Okay, so when when we say adjuvant, or when I hear adjuvant, I think, all right, we are going to give drugs to kill all the micro-metastatic disease, and we're going to cure these people. Uh, so I see this. I'm excited. Generally, I don't think uh, TKIs in the adjuvant setting are going to lead to overall survival. Didn't work in renal cell carcinoma. Um, so, uh, but melanoma is a little bit different. You know, there's a big immune effect in melanoma. So anyway, I open it and frantically, I'm at the point now where initially I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really read the papers. I scroll. I look at. I want to see the baseline demographics real quick, and then I want to see the top line results, and then I'll go back and read it. So I'm looking. I'm like, where is the overall survival curve? I see like progression, relapse-free survival, and distant metastasis. Where's overall survival? I don't see it. So then I like Control F, Command F for overall, and right there in the abstract it says no overall survival analysis was done. Um, like, why? That's the only thing that matters is five years. And the reason it wasn't done is only 216 people have died so far across both groups. And per protocol, they say they need 299. 
Well, if you have, this is like, what, 500 people, 800 patients? Let's look at this. I think it's like 800, 800 people with metastatic melanoma. And uh, let me make this right. And you've treated them, or you've followed them for five years, and you don't have enough to assess overall survival. Um, you know, that, that, that probably says, yeah, over 800 patients. That probably says something right there. Now, it's trained towards overall survival, but, um, you know, there's a big, uh, there's an improvement in relapse-free survival, but melanoma's a lot. If you have a, a, just one relapse uh, in a spot that's amenable to surgery, a metastatectomy can be very effective. And then you've got immunotherapy, too, for these folks. So uh, this is a big New England Journal of Medicine publication. I'll get a lot of uh, buzz, but, you know, we need to see overall survival uh, in the adjuvant setting when you're doing a TKI. You got, I mean, this is the goal is cure. That's the goal of therapy. If you're doing a care plan like in farm school, the goal of therapy is cure, so we need to see cure. Uh, for this, otherwise you're just delaying relapse, um, and that's not that's not cured. Okay, so those are those are two quick things I want to get off my chest. The uh, the bulk of today's uh, episode is going to be about Brocade Three, which uh, was published last week in Lancet Oncology. It's Viliparib with carboplatin and paclitaxel and BRCA mutated advanced breast cancer, a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled phase three study. Sounds great. So a little bit of background here. Uh, three studies that I want to get into. Um, and these studies are nicely summarized in our favorite guide, our favorite national guidelines, as well as in an editorial that was written by a um, uh, Melinda Telly from Stanford. So here's a little bit of a, a journal club hack: is when there's a major study, there's often an editorial that's published at the same time, and uh, and. Uh, she summarizes these same three studies that our favorite guidelines summarize. And I want to go through those real quick as background. So uh, we have two PARP inhibitors approved for um, germline uh, mutated BRCA mutations uh, in metastatic breast cancer based on two phase three studies, Olympiad and in BRCA Olympiad. I had 300 patients randomized two to one to a laparib or non-platinum-based chemo, capecitabine, venoral bean, or aribulin. Showed an improvement in median P- showed an improvement in progression-free survival. Median PFS was seven versus four point two months. No difference in, in overall survival. It was not powered to detect that. Uh, then Embraca, uh, also a phase three study. A little bit more patients, over four hundred, randomized two to one to talazoparib uh, or non-platinum-based chemo, capecitabine, ribulin, venerolabine, or gemcitabine. And you see a similar improvement in um, progression-free survival. Median PFS eight point six versus 5.6, so you see, you know, a consistent roughly three-month improvement in median progression-free survival between PARP inhibitors and germline mucated BRCA patients uh, who are fairly heavily pre-treated compared to non-platinum chemo, and I emphasize the non-platinum chemo for a reason. Uh, In both these studies, the response rate was 60%. I think they they were all, this was like third line or fourth line for a lot of patients if you look at both these studies. Now, I, I emphasize the non-platinum chemo uh, because we have TNT, which was a phase three study of almost 400 patients randomized uh, one-to-one to either carboplatin or docetaxel. Now, most of these patients, 338, were, were triple negative breast cancer, but then 43 uh, were uh, germline BRCA mutations, um, about two-to-one ratio of BRCA1, to, or more BRCA1 than BRCA2. Um, so overall, the overall response rates were 30%, and we saw 60% response rates in advanced disease in, uh, with PARP inhibitors. But if you look at the subgroup analysis that was pre-planned response rate just in the BRCA patients, the objective response rate was 68% uh, with carboplatin versus 33% uh, 
uh, with docetaxel. And now it's small numbers, so we're talking those that got carbo, 17 of 25 had an objective response versus 6 of 18 getting docetaxel. Uh, with uh, a, also a median PFS benefit from 4 to 6.8 months. So you look back at Olympiad and a bracket, you're like, well, boy, what would have happened if you had randomized them from a, from a PARP inhibitor to carboplatin by itself? What would we have seen? Uh, you know, probably about the same, same thing overall. So now enter Brocade 3. Uh, which is a study of about 500 patients, uh, germline mutated uh, BRCA1 or BRCA2. This is not the, the other deleterious BRCA mutations. It had to be a bad BRCA1, BRCA2 mutation. Uh, HER2, HER2 negative, 70% uh, of these patients had had prior chemo in the adjuvant or neoadjuvant setting, about 50-50 ratio of BRCA1 to BRCA2. And... Um, because they all got a taxane, they had to have gone at least 12 months from a taxane in the metastatic setting. So they're randomized two to one to carboplatin or paclitaxel. Uh, and the dose in here is carboplatin AUC6 on day one, paclitaxel 80 milligrams per meter squared on days one, eight, 15. And these are 21 day cycles. So that means day one, day eight, day 15, and then day 22 is day one of your next cycle. So every week, paclitaxel, carboplatin every three weeks, and then viliparib, 120 milligrams BID on days minus two to days five. So you get a week of viliparib starting two days before your chemo. Uh, and the normal dosing of viliparib would be like 300 or 400 twice a day. So you're given a lower dose of your PARP inhibitor and you're sandwiching, sandwiching it around chemo to try and take advantage of, say, uh, strand breaks induced by carboplatin and PARP inhibitors uh, prevent repair of DNA strand breaks. So you would hope for some synergy there. So that's the experimental group, carbopaclitaxel, weekly paclitaxel, plus viliparib for a week around chemo versus the same dosing of carboplatin paclitaxel. All right. Uh, objective response rates, 75.8% versus 74%, no difference. Now, those response rates are higher than the 60% we saw just with a PARP inhibitor, but not a ton higher, right? A little bit higher. Uh, this is also earlier, earlier line of treatment. I think something like, uh, you know, 80% of patients in this study, this is their first treatment in the metastatic setting. Uh, median progression-free survival uh, was 14.5 months versus 12.6. Uh, and that's with a median follow-up of 35 months. Now, that doesn't sound like a big difference. Now, that was statistically significant, the hazard ratio for progression-free survival. And that's because those median values don't look that great. Um, the hazard ratio, by the way, is 0.71. Uh, but you look at the two-year PFS and the three-year PFS, you see, these, you see the differences emerge. So two-year PFS was 33.6% uh, in the voliparib group versus t just under 20%. Three-year PFS was 26% versus 11%. So if I were to describe this to you, these PFS curves are perfectly congruent for like the first year, and then they start to separate, and they continue to separate more and more as time goes on. Now, I need to back up and explain a little bit more about how this study was done. So the patients that were randomized to carbopaclitaxel and viliparib, if they wanted to stop chemo, right, probably for neuropathy, carboplatin and paclitaxel, and you're getting paclitaxel weekly indefinitely until disease progression or until you stop because of toxicity, okay? Uh, at the time that you stopped it, you could then choose to go on to get viliparib uh, at the standard dose, 300 BID, and if you did fine on that, you went up to 400 BID, okay? Um, so folks in the viliparib group, uh, they got an average or median of 11 cycles of chemo. And then after that, just over 40%, I think it was 41%, chose to do monotherapy with viliparib, okay? Now, 
in the carbapaclitaxel placebo group. They also received an average of 11 cycles. Um, and then at progression, 44% crossed over to monotherapy with filiparib. So what you end up having here is, you know, about half the patients in the chemo plus filiparib went to filiparib maintenance right away or, or, or after they stopped treatment due to toxicity. So what it looks like. And then you had about a little under half the patients go to single agent PARP inhibitor. In fact, a little bit more than that because another 9% got a, a, a different PARP inhibitor besides Viliparib as their next line of treatment. So you kind of have, you know, a lot of the folks in the study got carbapaclitaxel, then monotherapy with PARP inhibitor uh, just right away. And then a lot of folks who got carboplatin paclitaxel and then PARP inhibitor later at progression. And that would explain why we see this divergence in the progression-free survival curves, but not until after a year after randomization. But the overall survival curves are perfectly overlapped. There's may, at least for the for the first, you know for the first year, it's you know the median uh, the one year overall survival is like 61 versus 60 percent. They're exactly the same. Uh, that's at two year. Two years they overlap. It's even uh, less of a difference. Two year the overall survival curves perfectly congruent, no, uh, no deviation whatsoever. And then at three year, from the two to three years, you start to see a separation of 46% versus uh, 39%, which is, is not that big of a difference, maybe something. So um, that's, that's uh, you know, I guess, I guess the, the good thing here about the study is uh, they compared, <laughs> you know, they were using platinum-based Chemotherapy, platinum and taxol, which you, you, maybe you wouldn't do in metastatic breast cancer to use uh, to use doublet therapy. We typically uh, do monotherapy in this setting, so this kind of challenges that that dogma. Um, uh, but you know, there's no difference in overall response rate, which you might expect by adding that PARP inhibitor just for a week. You wouldn't expect one week of a PARP inhibitor at that low of a dose to do anything in the long run. That's just you know, it's almost like it's not radio sensitizing, but you're hoping to get uh, some some extra bang for your buck with your carboplatin when you do that. Uh, I guess the good is uh, by adding that low dose PARP inhibitor with chemo, there wasn't a whole lot of extra toxicity. If you look at the you know the top line toxicity results, you see you know a slight skew towards more toxicity, but not overwhelmingly. Although 17% uh, of patients had to uh, decrease a dose of chemo in the Viliparib group versus 8% and a placebo. Uh, so not a big difference. You probably couldn't get away with this with a more myelosuppressive PARP inhibitor, but Viliparib doesn't have as much PARP trapping, so um, so would in theory be a good drug to combine with this. Um, you know, so there's no difference in response rate. The PFS benefit is there, but it's late. And the overall, you know, you don't see any difference in overall survival. So um, it, it's almost like they compared themselves to themselves in this study. And certainly carbotaxol followed by PARP inhibitor maintenance seems like a, a great backbone to study in a future phase three study. And when I say carbopaclitaxel followed by PARP inhibitor maintenance in germline BRCA mutated patients, that sounds exactly like how we're treating ovarian cancer uh, these days. So uh, th th that's brocade three. Um, you know, in, uh, and I'll kind of end my discussion with uh, quoting uh, Melinda Teller here in this editorial is questions regarding the optimal duration of chemo and whether or not a PARP inhibitor is required in the chemotherapy phase remain unanswered. Um, 
We also, you know, don't know if a PARP inhibitor versus carboplatin by itself or carboplatin with the taxane, uh, if one is better than the other. So, um, as always, lots and lots of publications uh, to coming out in oncology uh, and uh, not always answering the questions that we need answered. But that is the world we live in in Oncofarm. Uh, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, at Farm Deetnib. Follow me on Twitter. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And um, until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.